Welcome to Life and DNA with Amanda Renee. Today, we're going to dive into the family mystery that I have been working to solve. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. I am going to talk about one of my favorite topics to talk about today, and that is the family mystery that I have been working for uh, over a year and a half now to try and solve. I'll just let you know, I have it, I would say, 95% solved at this point. But we're going to go all the way back to the beginning and talk about how I even learned about this mystery and what exactly happened to this person. And in a future episode, I will discuss how I went about figuring it out. So, it's actually not my family's mystery. <coughs> it's my husband's. <clears throat> I remember when we were first together hearing little snippets. I think the first time I really heard about this was his grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary. And his grandma's two sisters had come to visit. It was the one and only time I've met them. I am hoping to get to talk to them uh, again soon, because I want to let them know what I've discovered. Um, but I remember hearing a little bit about it then. But at that point, my daughter was very little. I was a new mother, exhausted, <laughs> and didn't have time to do anything with Ancestry at that point. <clears throat> and then later after she passed... Um, we got to talk to, yes, his grandparents are so funny. I love, love, love them so much. Um, they're, they've both passed now and I hate that, that he was very close to them, <clears throat> but they were very sweet people. But it was funny because when you got in a room with both of them, they both wanted to talk to you at the same time and you didn't know who to try and listen to more or look at and the other one if they saw you looking at the other one too long, would get your attention. <laughs> so we didn't ever get to find out a whole lot of information uh, while his grandma was still living. <clears throat> but when she passed and we would talk to his grandpa, he would tell us a little bit about the story, what he knew of it. And all they knew was that his grandmother's father was left on a train in a basket as a baby. <clears throat> That's all they knew. And that he'd been adopted. And so I was intrigued, even back then, very intrigued by the story. And then Ancestry DNA, 23andMe, all of the, the DNA kits started becoming more mainstream, more affordable. And finally... <clears throat> I decided my husband and I needed to do our DNA. My husband's aunt had bought a kit for his grandpa to do, but he never ended up doing it, unfortunately, because that would have been extremely helpful <clears throat> to have. Well, I guess his wouldn't have helped me solve the mystery, but it would have helped me solve other mysteries in the family. Um, so my husband and I 
got each other DNA kits for Christmas and sent them off. We're both, you know, knowing our mothers <laughs> the way we do, we're both like very relieved when we discovered, okay, our dads are really our dads. <laughs> we are who we think we are. <clears throat> I read so many stories on a, a Facebook page that I'm part of where, I mean, daily multiple people do these DNA kits. Sometimes because they have an inkling that something isn't right in their family and then other times it's simply just for fun and then, oh, nope, my dad wasn't who I thought he was. <clears throat> so we were relieved. Our dads are our dads. And I was going to get started figuring out this mystery. <clears throat> and as I did, I found, decided to research his great-grandpa and found newspaper articles. And honestly, those are what have helped me the most. More than anything, <clears throat> the information in these helped me so much. And I'll tell you some of the things that I found <clears throat> in it. Let's see. There was... No, that's not the article. <clears throat> okay. the One of the ones I found, the title of it was... Abandoned at Poplar Bluff, Missouri, Iron Mountain Train. And it said, brown-eyed baby boy dressed in pretty white frock, wrapped in a dainty flannel cloak, and carefully placed in a large market basket. Had a note from his mother asking passengers to see that the infant arrived safely in St. Louis and was placed in an orphan's home. Passengers remember a neatly dressed woman wearing several diamonds, pretty, and about 25 years old. Supposedly boarded at, boarded at Hot Springs and got off at Poplar Bluff. <clears throat> so, I had a lot of information right there to work with. And, I don't know. It, the more I read about this, the more intrigued I was. <laughs> One, <clears throat> the baby was you know, dressed nice. Um, the mother was dressed nice and wearing diamonds, wearing jewelry. And that's not the only article that said that. So, <clears throat> I, and I will tell you later how I discovered that that actually helped me narrow down who I think the mother is. Just that little bit of information. <clears throat> so, it didn't appear that, you know, she was giving this baby up because she was not well off enough, I figure it probably had to do more with the stigma of unwed mother. <clears throat> and then there was a, another article. This, there was a, several articles written about this one particular thing. <clears throat> another article had the content, actual contents of the note. And the note was quoted as saying, Will someone be kind enough to see this baby through to St. Louis and place it in the orphan's home and oblige a poor mother? His name is Clarence Albert. <clears throat> and I knew when I read that, <clears throat> because a poor mother, obviously she wasn't monetarily poor, right? She wasn't financially poor. I think it was poor mother. Like She did not know what to do. Maybe scared of her position in society or her 
prospects for a future husband. <sighs> Who knows at this point, but the name that she named him Clarence Albert. And I have done digging and this is before Missouri required records of birth. So I've gone looking. There is no birth record <clears throat> um, in, in the states that he could have possibly been born in. There was no record of his birth. And at least that I could find. I knew the name Clarence Albert had to mean something. And again, that tidbit of information later was kind of the nail in the coffin, so to speak, to help me know I had the right, I had the right mother, or I at least have the right two sisters. Um, let's see. Then I found a newspaper article from the great-grandpa himself. He was a young man now, grown. He had just, they had just had their first son. And he wanted to know who he really was, which broke my heart. It had a picture of him next to the article. Oh, it, it just broke my heart. And it was written in 1932. And it gave the name of the train. His birth was about September 25th, 1906. The doctor said the baby was about five days old, making his birthday September 20th, 1906. <clears throat> he was placed in the Bethesda home in St. Louis. They named him. So I don't know if they didn't see the note, if the note went with the police, the police records had been, uh, in a fire at some point. So there are no police records to look at. <clears throat> so I'm wondering if the note went with them because the Bethesda home, they named the baby Whitcomb Brooks. And he was first adopted by Gustav Schupman. He was a German couple when he was three years old. So, I believe they changed his name to Walter at that point. <clears throat> now, they had him until he was 11. And looking at... I've been in contact with one of this man's distant relatives, and I am hoping to get to talk to someone that actually met Walter and knew Walter. Um, if I could ever get the courage to make the phone call. <clears throat> I'm hoping since he's older, he will still actually talk to someone on the phone that isn't a number that he recognizes. Uh, but they gave me his phone number because I was just interested to know if he knew why they took him back. Because when he was about 11... They took him back to the foundling home. And just based off of census records, they had been married about 10 years without having children. I think by the time they adopted him, they had been married like seven years at that time with no children. <clears throat> and I think that they had thought 
well, then they weren't capable of having kids. And so they adopted Walter. And then a few years later, they started having kids. And they had multiple children. And then you're talking early 1900s. Finances weren't great for everyone at that time. And they took him back. At least that's that's my theory. Until I talk to someone in the family that says otherwise. That is what I've assumed. <clears throat> okay, and then the article went on to say that at 11, he was released by the German family and then adopted by someone named Harry Hellman. And I've been having... And they changed his name to, you know, Walter Hellman, which is the name he had for the rest of his life. And... I'm having a hard time, I've had a hard time trying to nail down exactly which, that name seems to be fairly common, that surname is fairly common in that area, and so there are a few hairy helmets, and I've had trouble tracking down exactly which one, because I'm very interested in all of Walter's story. I'd like to know what his childhood was like, what he was what he was like, because he passed you know, way before I came into the family. Um, the little bit that I've gotten from my husband's dad and aunt, you know, they remember him being kind, and but they didn't see him very often. Uh, their dad was in the Air Force, and so they were moved away <clears throat> from that family. So... In the article, Walter, he gave his address and was hoping that someone from the train, one of the passengers on the train, would read the article and remember and be able to give him maybe more information on his mom. And I'm curious to talk to my husband's great aunts to see if they know whether he got any response to any of that, because as far as I know, I don't think he did, but I would be curious to see if anyone reached out. He also uh, put a plea in the article that if his mother had accidentally left him on the train, which breaks my heart that he even still had that hope after after everything, that he still had the hope that his mom had accidentally left him and just lost him and wanted, you know, wanted him back or wanted to get to know him. I mean, he was a, an adult, but wanted to get to know him. You know, this was his address and he wanted a relationship if that was possible. Wanted to know who he was. He stated in there, you know, he'd had three different names his whole life. He would like to know what his actual name was. And when I read that, I was more determined than ever. I'm like, okay, I'm going to give him, even though he isn't here to accept it. He's in heaven and already knows it now, I'm sure. But I wanted to just figure that out and discover that and let it be known for the rest of the family, you know, what his actual name was and I do know what that was um so I thought 
I was just fascinated by that story. When I was doing all of the digging, trying to find the newspaper articles, it was, um, I was amazed at how many stories there were of babies being left on trains. And what was funny to me was, in, you know, in that instance, multiple passengers commented on all the jewelry that this woman was wearing and how nicely she was dressed. And, you know, you normally think of oh, someone having to give up their baby. They just didn't have the money to take care of it. But, you know, back then, I think the stigma of an unwed mother for someone that in a family that had more money or was had some kind of position in the in society the stigma would have honestly probably been harder on her and you know we have no idea the story of how she became pregnant that's always going to remain a mystery because the people involved have passed if they would have even talked about it to begin with and I've just always been curious, you know, was it a passionate love affair? Was it something a little more nefarious? I don't want to assume that, especially given, you know, I'm trying to be in contact with some of the families and I've actually been in contact with some of the, the father's family and they said that honestly it didn't really surprise them that he was a part of something like that and I'm hoping to get to um, meet one of those relatives and see some pictures I would love to see pictures of what his parents looked like um, but apparently this was a thing leaving people leaving babies on trains I had written notes I have a notebook just full of notes <clears throat> of all my research for the different aspects of all of this. Um, yeah, and it's all very early 1900s, 1901. Baby girl left near Union Station. February 1905, baby girl, brown eyes, left on a seat in the women's waiting room at Union Station. <laughs> September 1905, baby left with two women at Union Station. The mom was a brunette, dressed nice, and a fitted white dress and hat. September 1906, oh, that's Walter. Uh, let's see, June 1906, St. Louis, a woman handed a baby. July 1903, St. Louis, baby left by a well-connected woman. And returned to her. So there was an instance of a baby that actually did get lost. Accidentally left. And then reunited with their mother. But that was there was only one in all of that that I read that was like that. All the rest of them. There were some the mom would go up to some motherly looking women <clears throat> and say, oh, I need to use the restroom real fast. Can you hold my baby, please? And then she'd take off. And then others, like, 
They would just sit the baby down and take off. And I've always wondered, just trying to put myself into her position, but that's, as a mom, that is really, really hard for me. Um, according to what is written in the articles, she got on with the baby in the basket because no one ever saw a baby. So how she kept that baby quiet, I don't know, because one of my kids screamed her head off and the other one, he, he'd be quiet some, but stuffed in a basket, I don't know. I mean, I guess he was only a few days old, but she gets on the train with the basket. She stays overnight in a sleeper car because she got on at Little Rock, Arkansas, and she left at Poplar Bluff, Missouri. So she stayed overnight in a sleeper car with her baby, knowing she was abandoning him the next morning. Like, what was going through her mind? Was she, you know, snuggling the baby and telling him sweet things and kissing him goodbye? Or was she cold and trying not to get attached and just worried about keeping him quiet until she left him? That just, I really wish I could know what went through her mind at that point. It fascinates me because, I don't know, as a mom, I can't imagine having, having to do that. And then to feel so desperate as to put your child in the care of a foundling home. I mean, the conditions in those places at that time couldn't have been really great. Just to be that desperate to put your baby in that position, I don't know, it breaks my heart for him and, and for her if it was a hard decision which you would assume it would be. And she was, um, when, once I discovered who it was, she was actually lived in Missouri. So, um, she was from Missouri, not necessarily St. Louis, but not terribly far from there. And so, her coming from Little Rock, Arkansas makes me wonder if she spent her later pregnancy time down there visiting friends or family. I've been trying to discover if there's any kind of family connection down there. Of course, it could have been a friend that she went to stay with. Um, if she was 25, like the people assumed that she was, and the lady that I've discovered that I think it was that would have been correct. She would have been about that age. Uh, she may have just moved down there temporarily to get away from anybody that knew her. Um, so she was from Missouri and ended up in Arkansas somehow to have the baby. Just the whole mystery around it, the whole story so fascinating to me and I am excited to start 
letting you know in the future episodes kind of my little discoveries. I made some big discoveries along the way and how the DNA, different newspaper articles, um, DNA matches, how all of the dots just connected. And finally, after I had almost given up being able to find who his parents were, finally connected the dots. So I am looking forward to telling you all about that in future episodes. So thank you for joining me at Life in DNA with Amanda Renee today. I hope you enjoyed the story of Walter's mystery and I look forward to walking through how I discovered who his real parents were. We will discuss that uh, next week. We'll get into that a little more. Um, follow me on Instagram or email me at, um, with Amanda at lifeanddna.com. And just let me know if you have any family mysteries you're working on or ones that you've solved. I am always excited to hear about things like this. I, I love doing this. And I will see you next time.